Welcome to Antioch Raleigh's weekly online sermon. We hope that you are encouraged by this word. For more information on Antioch Raleigh or access to our other online sermons, visit us at AntiochRaleigh.com. Did you hear about the mother spider fussing at her son? Said you've been out on the web too much. There you go. That's a groan worthy. I'm just, was that about a 10 on the groan worthy scale? Okay. Don't have a lot of time to do too many more jokes today, but I do wanted to, did, did want to, we've got a serious subject today, but as is always the case, there's this paradox of the grace of God and his righteousness. And um, we have been spending the last several weeks teaching about slaying the seven giants as part of a a greater series and emphasis that we had this year on emotionally healthy discipleship, emotionally and relationally healthy Christianity. Um, If there's anything that's really characteristic of the people of God is often they look like the rest of the world. And all the way back into the days of Moses, there was an answer. But the answer usually gets ignored on how that can not happen, how we don't have to look like the rest of the world. And so in Genesis chapter 7, we see that the Lord told the children of Israel that there was this incredible land of promise that they were to go into, and they were to displace all these nations. And we're euphemistically calling these giants because in the eyes of these um, Israelites, they were giants. They were bigger, they were stronger, they were more sophisticated. A nation of slaves had just come across the Red Sea, and now they were to go in and dispossess these giants from their land so that it would be their inheritance. And the answer was yes, and you can do it. And, and the Lord said, look, you're going to do it little by little. You're not going to do it all, all at once. That's in Deuteronomy 7.22. He said, because you're not strong enough to do it all at once, and there's not enough of you. And I think that's true of our whole life, is there's a little by little process. And so the reason we need grace is because you still act like a Philistine. You need grace because you still allow the Hittite culture to permeate your life. You need grace because there's still a Hivite in you that is filled with fleshly carnal desires that wants to rise up and possess you and and lead you back into darkness. And so these seven nations, these seven people groups represented value systems that were totally alien to the kingdom of God. And the Lord said, you have to displace these. You have to eradicate these from your presence. You cannot tolerate them. And if you do, real disaster begins to happen. So that's the setup. And now I want you to turn with me to Judges chapter 3. And this is after the, the death of Joshua. There is no king in Israel. Moses died. Then Joshua came, led the people. They started taking the promised land, but they didn't completely take it. And now we have the book of Judges that 
that we have a series of men who, and women who God raised up to lead Israel. But in verse 1 in chapter 3, it says, These are the nations the Lord left to test all those Israelites who had not experienced any of the wars in Canaan. He did this only to teach warfare to the descendants of, his, of the Israelites who had not had previous battle experience. Now, this is a very interesting statement. I don't know if I, I call it the triumphalistic uh, evangelical kind of rah-rah message that we are supposed to be in a battle against the devil. Nobody that is going into real warfare feels triumphalistic. They feel afraid. They have the courage that their training has got them to where they need to be. But nobody, if they're at least decently sane, is going, I'm really looking forward to getting someone trying to kill me. Nobody. That's called courage. You're willing to do it. But I think a lot of us actually love to hear about these messages on Sunday morning and then when we actually meet the Hittite inside of us we run like scared babies because we weren't prepared for the warfare that was going to take place inside of our own soul we had some sort of vision that it would all just kind of work out like a movie and Arnold Schwarzenegger would show up but it's it's it's, it's you, and you're the warrior. And so the Lord said, I, I am intentionally training this people group, the Israelites, to know how to do war because they didn't learn how to do it. And so many of us just absolutely surrender before the first um, shot is fired. And so the Lord was very intentional in this statement. He's saying, I want you to learn how to fight. So they didn't have battle experience. And those are called rookies. And, and worse. The five rulers of the Philistines, all the Canaanites, the Sidonians, the Hivites living in the Lebanon, Lebanon, uh, Lebanon mountains, from Mount Baal Harmon to Lebo Hamath. By the way, when you read those verses and those names and you're sitting there going, what does all that have to do? I just want to tell you. Uh, Baal Hermon was the same mountain that Jesus had the transfiguration. And that's when Jesus said, I'm taking back this mountain for the kingdom of God. Because that mountain had always been a place of sacrifice to the demon spirits that are the principalities and powers that rule the world. But, see, the Bible doesn't actually tell you that. You have to kind of study it for years to find that out. But that's why you need to be diligent to meditate on the Word day and night. And you'll begin to ask those curious questions. What does that have to do with anything? They were left, again, in verse 4, this word, this test, this idea of test. How many of you know that uh, we, have, we have college professors and we have students here and we have people that are teachers and we have people that are uh, learners and 
the goal, most learners think the goal of a teacher to give you a test is to fail you. But actually, the teacher wants to promote you. They don't get promoted if they fail everybody. And so the Lord is the same way. He puts tests in our way so that we can validate that we've learned what we need to learn. Not to fail us, but to pass us. And in the kingdom of God, there is no failure. There's also not automatic promotion. You just get the same, you get, get to take the same course over and over and over again until you pass it. And some of you have been in the same course for a generation or so. I hope not. I spent a lot of years in some of those classes. They were left to test the Israelites to see, their, see whether they would obey the Lord's command which he had given their ancestors through Moses. The Israelites lived among the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. They took their daughters in marriage and gave their own daughters to their sons and served their gods. If you remember the verse in Deuteronomy 7.1, that was strictly forbidden. And this is what... So we, we, we're introduced that, that the writer is trying to make a point here that... You might not get unless you were an Israelite in those days. Because from this chapter on, it's one unmitigated, ugly, terrible, no good, very bad day for the Israelites. It involves infanticide. It involves child sacrifice. It involves the dismemberment of bodies. It involves... Abuse, all kinds, including sexual, it, 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 is, it is horrific. Young believers reading the book of Judges and go, what is this supposed to mean? Here's what it means. When you do this, this is what happens. And you know all that stuff that I just enumerated? Those were the people of Israel doing that. Oh, child sacrifice. Did I mention that one? See, th- this... This, was what, this is what happens when God's people start com- compromising with these, these giants that, that are there seductively trying to get us to do their bidding. So here's the giants we've covered so far. The look-good giant, which is basically self-consciousness. The feel-good giant, which is basically hedonism or pleasure, seeking pleasure for its own right. The be-right giant, which is self-righteousness, and then the stay in control, which is the dominion of, of everyone else but you. Today we're going to cover the last three giants. These are the three weakest looking giants, but these can be in some ways the most dangerous. The hidden agenda giant, the personal advantage giant, and the undisturbed giant. So let's go to the hidden agenda giant. I've got a verse for you. Psalm 55, verse 21, and I'm going to read it from the Living Translation. I think that's a, I like one of the ways they've, his words were oily smooth, but in his heart was war. His words were sweet, but underneath were daggers. You know, the scripture, there's no, there's nothing about human condition that the scripture doesn't address it's there 
and it understands it and it eviscerates it. And the thing that happens is uh, the, this, this giant is like a snowball with a rock in it. I remember the, the, the first time I ever heard that phrase was when Bob Mumford, who taught this whole series, and I've kind of adapted it as my own. The scripture says, the things you've heard from me teach faithful men who will teach others also. That's really exactly what I'm doing here, because this whole concept of these giants transformed my life. And Brenda and I, it just total, total first we had to examine the giants in our own life, and then we begin to discern the giants in other people's lives. And it's really amazing because now you can have compassion and help get them free from the giant. And some of you life group leaders are going to go, oh yeah, that's a, let me give you an example of a hidden agenda giant. Oh, Steve and Brenda, I love, we, we just really want to have you over at our house. And uh, we're, we're like, oh, wow, we're really flattered. Can you come? And then there's the multi-level marketing presentation. Five minutes. <laughs> that's, the, that's kind of the overt hidden agenda, right? And, and how many of us have actually gone, you know what? I'm getting, I'm leaving right now. This is, you, you just deceived me. Now, that, though, those, are the, those are really pretty mild versions, believe it or not. See, what about the, the one where the boss is constantly coming to you telling you what a great job so that he doesn't have to raise your pay? Or dangling out the carrot of a promotion knowing all along there's no budget for it. And instead of saying the truth to you about your situation and telling you exactly what has to happen and the condition of the organization they don't tell you the truth. They have a hidden agenda. And guess what people with hidden agendas are? Unsafe. And when you get around people that have hidden agendas, and you, you're, you just don't know why, but you just feel like they're maybe not totally trustworthy. They hide one thing while proclaiming another. They have strategies that move, maneuver cultivate and nourish in secret, clandestine. They create false impressions that undermine clarity and create confusion. They destroy unity. Let me just tell you something. Have you ever heard the, someone say something like, you know, I really, yes, he's a really great brother, but... Damning through faint, faint praise. Don't add the but. Because a lot of times the but is just a hidden agenda to undermine. Say, so, well, I wasn't gossiping. Yeah, you were. That was gossip. Let's all take a breath. <laughs> Somebody's. There it is. Thank you. I, I think hidden agenda probably is the number one reason that churches have church splits. And you know, a church that really understands how to deal with this giant will never have one. They will always. Let me just tell you something. Deceitful are the wounds, the, the kisses of an enemy, but faithful are the wounds of a friend. You see, I would, 
you know, here's what happens in, a, in, in churches is we don't value the friendship enough to actually confront someone, so we just withdraw from them. Instead of saying, you know, I have a problem with you, and every time I'm around you, you, whatever that you is, and you say, I really want to maintain our connection, but I can't because this seems to be the rub. And can I just tell you, when you've worked through that with a few people, they end up being your lifelong friends because you know you've got the durability to deal with your conflicts. And some of those things are called marriage partners. But the rest of them are lifelong friends, and so few people have them because they have surrendered to this giant. All right. So to displace this giant, the fruit of the Spirit is humility, integrity, honesty, authenticity, meekness, and trustworthiness. The next giant is the personal advantage giant. And this one is really slick. And some people confuse the hidden agenda with the personal advantage because they, they have some, some similarities to them, but they're really completely different. The personal advantage giant is the giant that always says, take care of number one. No matter what, you take care of yourself first. And that giant loves to rear its head when you and your teammate at your work are both due a promotion and you selflessly promote them or not. The, hidden, the personal advantage is when you, how many of you have heard this phrase? Information is power. Information is power. Do you know what the Lord has done is he's given you all the information he can possibly give you in the loudest possible ways through the prophets and through the, through the life stories through from the Genesis all the way through. He has not had a single hidden agenda. When the rich young ruler came to Jesus, Jesus looked at him and said, look, you need to sell everything you have. Now he didn't do that with everybody, but he knew one thing. He, 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 he wasn't willing to, to have a hidden agenda with this guy. Let's get him into the church, and then when he finds out that he's really got to follow Jesus, then maybe he'll make the decision. But in the meantime, he'll do tithes and offerings. That's called a hidden agenda. You know, evangelicalism is full of that. Come to Jesus, but don't give your life up for Jesus. Just come and get Jesus. I mean, he's your own personal Jesus. and kind of, In fact, he's the God made in your own image, Jesus. And you can kind of do what you want while you're still saying you love Jesus, Jesus. But that's not the Jesus that looked at the rich young ruler and said, you have to forsake your idolatry of your possessions if you want to follow me. To another, he says, you've got to forsake the idolatry of your family over me. And to the, another, he said, you've got to forsake the plans of your future for me. Jesus doesn't try to take personal advantage of us. He lays it out as it is. And see, when you get rid of personal advantage in a corporation, you know what people actually say? 
I love this place. I would never dream of going anywhere else, even when there's better pay. I don't want to get into the contemporary stuff, but what I do think is timeless is that a man's integrity will keep him, and when a man doesn't have integrity, things begin to fall, around, fall apart around him. Now, that does not mean that a person with integrity does not have problems. In fact, most of the time, the enemy loves to find the Job and torment him. Let me read the verse out of uh, Jude. These people are grumblers and fault finders. They follow their own evil desire. They boast about themselves and flatter others for their own advantage. Have you ever been flattered by someone and you know they're just trying to get you to do something for them eventually? It's smarmy, it's oily, it's kind of eh. And you know, here's the thing. Truth tellers often, until you actually get to know them, are the safest people in the world. People that, that are kind of always, do you know the Bible does not have a word for nice it's one of the main words of our culture today. Oh, he's so nice. What do you mean? He doesn't have any backbone? Sometimes you don't need to be nice. You need to say the truth. You know, or you just keep quiet. But, you know, people that are actually truth tellers don't always feel comfortable to be around. It's not that they are intentionally harsh or mean. That's not helpful either. It's just they tell truth. And most of us love lies. That's why the scripture says no liar will ever enter the kingdom of heaven. We don't talk about, we think about some of the more overt sins, but this is, this is a huge one. <coughs> These are the ultimate users. This is probably the most self-referential giant. What's in it for me? These are the guys that are the dream stealers. They want, they want to take your dream and make it their dream. And they want you to buy into their dream. They also have a constant sense of entitlement and require, require constant excessive admiration. They expect to be recognized as superior even without achievements that warrant it. Or they exaggerate their achievements and their talents. You know, we... You know, there's a term today that everybody, it's a very popular term, it's narcissist. It's, it's, according to psychologists, it's an epidemic. It's like, well, depending on which uh, blog you read, the percentage is alarmingly high. Well, narcissism is just a really uh, clinical term that was based on a, 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 a Greek story for selfishness. And Jesus dealt with narcissism. He said, take up your cross daily and die. That, that's the way you deal with narcissism. And I think the key to, to dealing with this giant is humility, selflessness, Thinking of others before thinking of yourself and preferring others. 
Paul talked about it in the terms of selfish ambition. You know, here's an interesting thing in Philippians chapter, uh, in the book of Philippians. It's one of Paul's last books. He says, I have no one. They all seek their own interest. Isn't that, isn't that an alarming statement that Paul, who was in prison, and he said, they're all vying for the job that I've been doing, and they don't want the job that, I'm gonna, that I've been doing because that job's going to end in death. <coughs> but, but they were all seeking their own self-interest. And here's how selfless he was. Well, you know what? The bottom line is this, that Christ Jesus Christ is being super... Uh, he, he's being preached and others are believing in him. And so here's, here's what happens. When you have a, 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 a majority of people that are consumeristic in their con- understanding of the church, then you're going to have all kinds of problems. And it's just really... A, a major immaturity. The final, the final, the final giant is undisturbed. This one, uh, <laughs> this one is uh, really, I, I'm going to skip a verse and talk about the Good Samaritan. This is the giant that the Levite and the priest had dominating their lives. They were really busy and they had important, they were important people with important places to go and be. And there was a guy laying on the side of the road and they could not attend to his wounds. The undisturbed giant is, the, is probably the most pervasive giant in the West today. It's saying, I don't want to get involved. I don't want to be inconvenienced. I don't actually want to serve. Well, I want to look like I serve, but I really don't want to serve to be served without visibility or without anybody seeing me. <laughs> we disguise this this thing, this giant disguises itself in the need of respectability and stability and security. It's unempathetic, it's uninvolved, it's apathetic and it's disengaged. I, I'm, I encounter Christians that um, they'll, they'll come and they'll say, man, I just love the worship. I just really love what you're doing in this church. And then all of a sudden, they kind of get frightened or uncomfortable. And it's kind of like, what do you mean you expect us to be in a small group? What do you mean you expect us to have hunger for God and really seek after Him? That makes me feel uncomfortable. I just want to study the Bible. I just want to get really smart about the Bible. I don't want to actually do the Bible. I just want to study the Bible. Do you know there's tons of church, and you know, He's a really good Bible teacher. And I don't, trust me, I hope I'm a good Bible teacher, but I'm not trying to primarily impress you with my teaching ability. I'm trying to persuade you to become a passionate worshiper of Jesus every day of your life. And one of the ways you do it is to deal with this apathy, this indifference, this lazy spirituality. 
And why do we accommodate these giants in our lives? For the same reason that the serpent was able to lure Eve into eating the forbidden fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It's the allure of a get-rich-quick scheme, a shortcut, a bypass. The problem is that maturity and character can't be accelerated, shortened, or avoided. So these last three giants, seemingly less threatening than the previous ones, actually can be the most corrosive and insidious. So why do we tolerate the giant of hidden agenda in, in our inner territory of our heart? The same reason some people play the slots in Las Vegas or buy scratch-off lottery tickets. We contrive endless stories to delude ourselves. We exult in the temporary hope, fleeting as it may be, that we can beat the system. We love to imagine counting a new fortune or a windfall rather than holding to faith in an unseen God who takes way too much time to answer our misguided and self-centered prayers. Why do we tolerate the giant of personal advantage in the inner territory of our heart? Well, these imposters entice us by appealing to our least noble desires. We instinctively know that being a deceiver, a user, abuser, a taker is loathsome. Yet we do have to admit that we do get something out of that. We get such an attractive lie that it elicits a delicious, if not horrible, impulse. It's the impulse to become the god of my own little dominion, ruling all the minions around me with my little white lies, false impressions, control, and manipulation. Why do we form treaties and dangerous Allegiances with the giant of the undisturbed in the inner territory of our heart? Laziness. Laziness and self-centeredness. Laziness is the perversion of the Sabbath rest. We are beguiled into a moratorium of spiritual disciplines like pressing into the things of God. Seeking the giver and the gifts of the Lord in every sphere of our life. We do this with what is now fashionably called me time. In lieu of the hard practical work of genuine spirituality, we avoid getting our hands dirty. We avoid the challenge of an early morning prayer meeting. We let others go to someone else's house to pray for the sick life group member. We busy ourselves with our iPhones yet avoid response to invitations to visit a prisoner, shut-in, or stranger that needs an extra bedroom in your big house, or helping out with a food meal train, or earnestly seeking some new spiritual gift of the Holy Spirit that is, frankly, alien, off-putting, and scandalous, kind of like praying in tongues or doing miracles. We don't seek those because only weird people do that. I want to be a weird people. Amen, brother. Fist bump. I want to be one of those weird people. All of these are echoes or relish, oh, oh, relishing the walk of faith that frightens our institutionalized idol of security. 
All of these are echoes of the priest and the Levite avoiding the mugged victim on the side of the road. We avoid these because they all interfere with what that all-important me time that we guardian unquestionably. Why? Well, one obvious reason is that so many of us violate the real Sabbath that we are commanded to observe. We substitute the Sabbath with some mere serious me time instead. Disturbingly, it is a worthless counterfeit, and hence our souls are filled with perpetual weariness. We are neither refreshed nor rested with me time, only enslaved deeper to our own self-centered way of life. Just like Eve, we fall for the trickster's trick, believing that the lie will make us independent and self-sufficient. Ironically, it does nothing more than enslave us to the trickster even more deeply. Consumer Christianity is not Christianity at all. It makes Jesus our servant rather than making us his. So how we unshackle ourselves from these treacherous, enslaving giants, it always starts with prayer. Prayer to the liberator. I think it's about nine times the children of Israel in the book of Judges, it says, cried out to the Lord after the impression, oppression of these nations against them. Prayer that all too often only begins in earnest when the crisis, crisis erupts or it worse matures. That prayer, unfortunately and sadly, comes after the depth of the crisis becomes unbearable. Like a long-term, undiagnosed disease, the damage to our soul is extensive. The anxiety and depression are no longer tolerable. The apathetic indifference smothers us. The control and posturing becomes, becomes unsustainable. The relentless giant nations besieging Israel with unbearable affliction after years of compromise, then and only then did Israel begin to cry out to the Lord. Their desperate cries didn't seem to work either. Many of these prayers of complaint and frustration were recorded in the Psalms, and some of you don't even get those Psalms. Maybe you haven't been in a place where you're under the oppression of those giants. True believers, by the way, complain to the Lord while skeptics and doubters complain to each other. Just want you to know it's okay to complain to the Lord. Nevertheless, believers want relief from their circumstances in a crisis. Transformation of their heart never really occurs to them. Yet it's all that God wants. We tend to be content with being enslaved. After all, there's a certain predictability about serving counterfeit gods. We find ourselves saying, but Lord, can you just take away the oppression, the pain, the discomfort? I don't like my circumstances. God's response often is crickets. Another way of saying silence. But his silence does not imply inaction. 
We live in a salvation-soaked world where God and Jesus Christ is working nonstop, wonderfully and powerfully. The time between our prayer and an answer we seek happens as he moves the greatest obstacle that he ever has encountered, our will and our willingness. God does not pander to our whims or indulge our petulant childishness. Nor does he force his way upon us. Those seeking relief from the oppression of the giants find little respite from the Lord unless we unconditionally surrender to him and to his ways. Our idolatrous consumeristic prayers of getting our needs met only offends the Lord. God's deliverance comes to those willing to shackle themselves to a much better Lord and Master. Jesus said, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. In James 4, he says that um, he reminds us that Christians, and I love the Message Bible version, says there are Christians who are cheating on God. If all you want is your own way, flirting with the world every chance you get, you end up enemies of God and His way. And do you suppose that God doesn't care? The proverb has it that He's a fiercely jealous lover. And what He gives in love is far better than anything else you'll find. It's common knowledge that God goes against the willful proud. God gives grace to the willful humble. That's James 4, 4 through 6, 3 through 6, like you've never heard it before. So how do we slay these giants? We repent, we renounce, and we utterly reject them. We eradicate them out of our lives unmercilessly, and we have friends who will unmercilessly tell us in their mercy that we have those giants operating and dominating our lives. We do it like Jesus did. In the incarnation, he did not look good or feel good or stay in control. He didn't have hidden agendas. He never did anything for a personal advantage. And he was willing to come here. He was very disturbed. Isaiah tells us exactly every one of these. He tells us that he had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering, familiar with pain, like one whom people hide their faces. He was despised, and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took our pain and bore our suffering. He did not have to be right. He'd killed that giant too. For Isaiah 53 informs us that he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with transgressors. For he bore the sins of many and made intercession for the very people that were wrong. He didn't. His disciples had all kinds of hidden agendas. Judas Iscariot for one. And personal advantage, Peter and the rest of them all vying for the position in the new kingdom. 
So the question today is, which, which giant are you collaborating with in your life? Let's all stand up. Here's the way you kill a giant. You kill a giant by turning away from the treaty you've made with him, the compromise. You turn away to turn toward someone else. And you say, Lord, get this out of my life. You know, can I, can I just tell you, let me just be, confess something here. When Brenda and I, when God told me to do this job, I, I kept saying to the Lord, I, 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 I'm not a pastor. And you know what I thought when I was thinking that? Kind of that oily, kind of nice guy that never says the truth to anybody. And the Lord said to me, I've prepared you your whole life to do, be a pastor. Because I don't want you to be that guy. I want you to be a truth teller. Because only truth is what really brings comfort. And so, you know what's really fascinating to me about all that? I hate delivering words like this. Because I just love you so much. I really do. But I know that some of you are in the grips of it. Your, your apathy is, you know, you're apathetic until your kid gets cancer. And you've never prayed for a sick cancer patient in your life. And you wonder why God isn't operating. You, you're, you got all those spiritual gifts that are, you know, kind of weird. I don't want anything to do with them. And they may be the breakthrough that gives you to the deliverance for your son or daughter that is in trouble because you don't know how to pray. Do you get what I'm talking about here? I think this undisturbed giant is the most disturbing that I see in this church. And I am begging you, repent of that in your life. Do not allow it to have dominion over you. Or the things you'll end up doing are hideous. And that's what happens to the church all the time. Okay, I'm through preaching. Please come forward no matter what you need. But I'd like for the elders and the life group leaders to come forward first. And we just want to encounter the Lord. Lord Jesus, we're so grateful. You abandoned the comfort of heaven to rescue us in our pathetic state our squalor, our poverty, our despicable nature. We thank you that you left the pristine, glorious halls of heaven to come and make no reputation for yourself. You didn't get one self-promoting bone in your body. Lord, we want to exchange our, all that stuff that the, the giants want to sell us. We want to be disturbed. Lord, we want to be authentic. We want to be selfless, and we are not in control, and we confess that you are.
are the one who sets our agendas. Lord, we're willing to suffer and not always feel good. And Lord, we want to be willing to not always look good either. And Lord, we don't have to be right. We just have to speak the truth and let it sit. Amen. Pastor Steve, I just feel like I need to be obedient. Um, We came in this morning as a team and felt like we were supposed to corporately, identificationally repent. Um, And I just want to read a few of the passages that the Lord put on our heart, if that's okay. I just feel like there's something on this. Um, Wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Wake up, strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have found your deeds unfinished in the sight of my God. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come on you like a thief thief and an armed man. The prayer was just to repent for that Laodicean spirit, the spirit he talked about of not being distracted, being asleep, thinking our needs are met, being okay with the quality of life that we're living, and that our first response to any area of need or any area of rejoicing is not the Father. It's a created thing. We can't be bothered with glorifying Him over the wonderful things happening in our lives, or we don't go to Him first when we have a need. So we as a team, we repented for that. And there is a scripture in Joel that I really believe is for us. This is is what's happening. Wake up, you drunkards, and weep. Wail, all you drinkers of wine. Wail, because the new wine for it has been snatched. Mm. We are not experiencing new wine because we are not awake. We all have areas where we need to wake up. And so, yeah, Lord, we just, again corporately just confess and repent for all of the places where we have been distracted, we have not wanted to be bothered or disturbed, or we've been too satisfied and content with a measure of your presence that's not your best for us. It's not what you have for us, Lord. Lord, forgive us for that. God, we want all of you. We don't want a piece of you. We don't want to deny the cross in our daily lives because we can't be bothered with going to you first. Lord, may you be the first thought that we have. May you be the first person we run to in the good times and in the struggle. Lord, you are too good not to believe. You are too good not to believe for every area of healing and reconciliation and restoration in our lives, Lord. And so I just confess and repent on behalf of our entire church for not believing who you are in the full measure of who you are and ask for you to come and bring a spirit of wisdom and revelation for us to know you more and desire you more. In Jesus' name.